Hey there, you got Jeff. I've got about 15 seconds before my dog barks again, so I'll make this quick. If you're looking to connect with other customer success leaders who are trying to operationalize customer success in their companies, come over to gaingrowretain.com and join now. Hi, everybody. Jay Nathan with Customer Imperative. I've got with me my uh, partners in crime, Christy Falteruso. Say hey, Christy. And my partner, Jeff Brunsbach in Customer Imperative. And um, we do a weekly Q&A podcast for customer success leaders and customer success practitioners. And so we also started streaming it live here on LinkedIn. And so um, excited for anybody who uh, joins us today. And if you have questions, feel free to, to drop them in and, and we'll, we'll chat about them. Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. Today's a big day. Um, we launched something we call Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community for customer success leaders. And um, we've had, what, Jeff, um, several hundred people sign up today and a lot yeah. of people sharing on LinkedIn. So give us some stats. You've been instrumental in putting this thing together. So tell us what's going on. Yeah, got uh, today at least, I think got close to 500 people sign up. Um, I think the maybe the most fun part is maybe a little coordinated strategy that we do, we did with a lot of early adopters. So we had a magenta image that I'm sure everyone is sick of seeing by now, but uh, we had a you know coordinated strategy and tried to make sure we could just get the message out. You know, I think again we started 12 weeks ago, 13 weeks ago now, uh, doing CS leadership office hours. Started with 40 people, had a panel and had people just come. Didn't really know what we were doing and what to expect. And then, you know, throughout the entire process, we've tried to engage with customer success leaders uh, of B2B SaaS companies and trying to understand, you know, what, what did they feel like was missing in terms of a community? Um, what did they want to do in terms of connecting with other leaders? What did they find valuable? Uh, our office hours was the consistent. So every Thursday, we're doing that at 1130 a.m. Eastern. Uh, get about 100, 100 to 150 people each week uh, come open forum discussion. That's been the constant uh, throughout the 13 weeks. And then we've started to layer in other pieces. So um, we've kind of transitioned our podcast, really focused on the community topics that they're interested in, trying to highlight people uh, on that where we can. We've got our blog, which we're kind of turning towards the community as well. So we're going to be highlighting a lot of key topics, uh, bringing, you know, kind of pulling things out of the community that are really interesting threads. And then the online community itself. So we started with early adopters. Uh, now about four weeks ago, had 150, uh, kind of opened it up to about 200 before we launched this morning. And then um, now, you know, we're opening it up to the public. And what we've seen in there, I think, is just really strong engagement over those four weeks. So uh, the average person posted five times. Uh, they were commenting and liking uh, on a daily basis. You know, we had about uh, 35 to 40% activation rate on a daily basis of our users. Um, and that's only with, you know, 200 people in there, which was we thought was really strong, um, a good start for us. So um, we're excited. It was fun to, to launch it today. You know, a lot of time and energy just focused on June 11th, and now we get to do the fun part, which is actually go back and, you know, back into the community and uh, start engaging with people and, and trying to build up topics from there. Totally. And hey, what's up, Chris Jones? Good to see you and good to see Erica Newell as well. Um, yeah, I was thinking back to the very first office hours we did and how we how we thought a panel would be a great idea. And I think, I mean, panels are fine. They're, they're great. People are still using that format. Um, to engage their audiences. But I think what we learned really quickly and we asked for feedback every time is that people wanted to talk, they wanted to interact, they wanted to basically voice their challenges and their, like the things that they're struggling with and working on right now and get other people's ideas on that. And so one of the coolest parts has been 
we we learned and we learned from our friend Nils Vinya how to do this because we didn't really know before but we learned how to facilitate that kind of discussion where you could have a group of 100 people on a call and uh and then actually keep some order to it and and get full participation so that that was a really cool learning for us uh, but we also asked for feedback after every every meeting we had and we just continued to refine and iterate that um you know as we as we did it and i think that was a big part of what actually got us to this point like we always preach to our customers our clients like listen to your customers and they're going to give you guidance on what to do um so anyway um, hey, Christy, I know you guys just did your first customer success webinar uh, at VTS, which I think it sort of fits into this whole idea of like building community amongst your customers. So how did it go? Like, are you, w what's next for you guys there? Because it's, it's yeah, this is, very um, similar. Yeah, no, no, it was, a, it was a huge day for us as well. I think June 11th, just all around, I think there was like three major initiatives I was associated with this week and today specifically. So this was really exciting. Um, yeah, so for us, we actually, obviously like most people, we're trying to educate our customers more on our product and help them understand how do they drive more value from it, how do they maximize the, the use of it. Um, and so out of that, we had actually started to market a new direction, which is called this like connected operations, which is helping companies understand holistically how our product is going to bring together all the components that they've been using for fleet management. So this whole notion of connected operations. So we officially launched a customer webinar series called the connected customer. And um, today was our first one. And so we had I'm looking at my numbers now. So we had 435 registrants, which was really, really impressive for our first one. Um, we had about a 30% show rate. So we were really happy with like how it turned out, how the content uh, was engaged. And I will say one of the things that was surprising is I was kind of like watching and refreshing like Jeff was today all day with the community um, is that we didn't have a drop off. So people came and they stayed and they stayed through the end. And so it was really great to kind of get that validation of like the customers like thirst for knowledge and wanting to get more out of that conversation and just learn. And so, you know, I think us being open to that and understanding now what's of interest to them is going to help us drive better content moving forward. So similar to you guys, we're, we're trying to do our best to listen to our customers and respond accordingly. That is so, that's so cool. I mean, zero drop-off is amazing because most, most webinars, yeah, most great. webinars, <laughs> people quickly start dropping off and, you know, maybe it's the like the 10 or 15 minute in intros that people get tired of and they get fatigued and they have to go do other things. Right. And so, uh, well, that, that's cool. So, um, anyway, we're excited about it. I mean, we're really, um, appreciative of everybody who's been participating and there have been tons of people to probably too many to name who've just been engaged in, in contributing to that thing. And, um, so we're, we'll find a way to thank them properly over time here, but Chrissy, you've been a huge part of that too. So many thanks to you. Yeah, no, um, is, right. I just want to say one thing for folks that have participated in this um, or who are just getting involved. I will say nobody else like really took advantage of this opportunity to keep the community connected like you guys did. And so as a member, as somebody who's been actively engaged in the conversations, I just want to thank the two of you for all the work that you've done. Because, I mean, honestly, this was a hard enough time for people as it is. And I think everyone was feeling disconnected. And so you guys really did something that was important, not just for the community, but I think just for us as humans and needing to feel connected to people. So if it wasn't for you guys, I know a lot of these conversations and relationships wouldn't have been built, had, and so thank you guys for, for making the investment in the community. So thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Christy. Some yeah. fun. Thank you. All right. Well, um, I think we wanted to talk about a couple of topics. So what we normally do is we spend, you know, 30 or 40 minutes just sort of riffing on a couple of emails that we get or LinkedIn messages that we get uh, throughout the week. So um, I think all three of our inboxes are, are sort of wrecked right now from the community launch. So it's been hard to keep up with the LinkedIn messages today, but we talked about um, uh, voice of customer today and, and listening to customer feedback and 
in the CS office hours meeting that we had. And so we always break those up by enterprise and then an SMB SaaS, like a small, medium sized business SaaS kind of breakout room. I was in the enterprise room and I think Christy, you were in there with me. Yeah. So I guess we'll have to just focus on that. But there were some really good points in there. What, what was your favorite takeaway from the voice of customer closed loop feedback discussion that we had today? So I think my favorite and it'll always be my favorite is when people acknowledge that NPS is not VOC. Um, so that is always my favorite because I feel like there is this notion that if you're doing NPS surveying that you have a voice of customer program in place and that that's enough. Um, and so to hear so many people agree and kind of validate the fact that not only is that not enough, it's, it's, it's a small portion of a true VOC pro like program. So I, I loved that because it was very validating. Yeah, that's good. Have you ever had a CEO or a board member or any C-level executive sort of breathing down your neck about the actual number? Like, hey, what's our NPS score and how are we going to get that up? Have you had that situation before? Yes, I'm and I, won't name, I won't name what company I was at, um, but we, had a, we did have a CEO who believes that like that is a very important metric and one that should be socialized and shared very broadly and that people's compensation should be tied to it. And I mean, really prioritized it in a way that like, I've never seen before. Um, on the flip side, I also worked for a company where the CEO refused to do NPS because he felt it was like an arbitrary benchmark and didn't want to add another metric for the board of advisors to start measuring him against. So um, I've had two very extreme examples, but yeah, definitely have had the, the first and it's, uh, it's very interesting, right? Because I don't think, I, I don't look at it as a, a benchmark of success. Um, I don't think it's something an organization should rally around to the extent that they were asking us to. I think it's great directional insight and should help the team be proactive in their approach, right? Take the feedback and use it to operationalize your efforts and do what's best for the customer, but not, it shouldn't be a company's success KPI. I'll go even further. I think it's a vanity metric. I agree. Go ahead, Jeff. You're trying to get in there. No, it's, I mean, I, the, I mean, I think Christy pretty much reiterated our, our company's stance, uh, I think, at least that customer imperative. Uh, but I, I think the other thing that I also took away from that too is that uh, a lot of people use the word program and say that they have a program in place when they really just send a survey. Um, and, you know, like, I think they need to start thinking about those things as, as very different things. Like it's, it is probably one of the easiest things to load up an email list and send a survey. Like that is the easiest part of the entire concept. The hard part is to take the, the feedback that you do get and start to understand like, how do I need to go engage with those customers and what are they actually telling me? And then how, do, how am I essentially adjusting what we're doing? Um, to really complete and round out the program and, and think about it as, you know, a closed loop. We are actually following up with whoever is giving us feedback or whoever's not, because that is also a concern. But I think that's the big thing that I've continued to notice is that sometimes you say, hey, what's your program look like? Or do you have, uh, do you have feedback in place? And, you know, just to your point, Christy, they're like, yep, we do. And then you start asking questions and there's really just a survey that gets sent out by marketing maybe once a year or twice a year. And, um, and then it takes them six months to compile the data because they're trying to you know, look at every little thing. And then by the time you send the next survey, the, the customer's already mad because they're like, I, you know, I gave you feedback six months ago, you didn't do anything with it. And I think that, that actually was a, a driving force for our community was uh, we said, if we were gonna send a survey, like we were actually gonna use it. And I think um, this kind of goes back to your point, Christy, that we got some really good engagement early on with the, with the community. And I think people enjoyed it because literally from week one to week two, we came back in and, I, and at the beginning, we actually published the results to everybody. So in the email, we said, here's what our MPS was from you all. Here's some of the key comments, both positive and negative. Here's what we're going to do about it. And so pretty quickly, like, I think people realized that if they actually gave us the feedback, we were going to use it. Um, and I think companies don't use that to their advantage either. 
one, one of the coolest things that I heard today, and I think it speaks to what you're just saying there, Jeff, is that um, there was one, I forget who it was on, on, the, uh, on the enterprise part of the call that we were on, but they talked about whatever feedback they got. If their response rate was only 5%, they still took all those results and shared them back with everybody that they asked to participate in that questionnaire because um, once they did, people saw that they were actually going to use it and, and increase, you know, that, that increased every time. Um, so you got to treat it like a program. It, if you're sending a one, one email sequence to try to get somebody to respond, don't be surprised if you get a 4% response rate. It's just, you're not going to get anything higher. You're competing with all the marketers out there. You're competing with all the other companies that these people do business with and their customers of, and all of those marketing engines just to try to get your, your question answered. Right. And there, people are not going to take the time to respond to a single email. So treat it like a campaign, close the loop, you know, provide feedback. And I think you're right there alone. You're going to get a, a lot, a lot better results. We, we always reference Steve Bernstein. He's one of our, our favorites in this area, but um, he's just, he, he talks about these things all the time. It's what happens before and after the survey that are actually more important than the survey itself. All right. Now I'm going to, I'm going to challenge the two of you. Um, so obviously right. I had a privilege of, of giving a webinar today, co-hosting webinar and on voice of customer. Um, so I've spent a lot of time thinking about this topic and can we collectively agree that VOC goes well beyond surveys? I know that we're talking about surveys specifically, but I mean, for the broader audience, I don't want people to think that VOC is just surveying. So if you think about what it is, right, it's the voice of the customer and your voice that, that. Hey there, this is Jeff trying to make it in less than 15 seconds. So here's the pitch. We have an online community with thousands of customer success leaders. Now we're searching for sponsors and partners to help us grow that. Are you one of them? Reach out to us. Let us know. Your customer's voice is being heard in a lot of places across your organization. Um, and so if you're thinking about a holistic program, there's several places you need to be capturing that. Yes. Oh, I really agree with that too. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think we always like to think about it um, from a couple of different buckets, but you know, there's, there are signals that sales and marketing should be bringing to the table about voice of customer. There's product that should be bringing uh, feedback, you know, to the table as well. And then again, I think often something that's overlooked is the, the actual customer success team and the customer success managers as well. I mean, they have a, I mean, they are literally, you know, on the front lines sometimes in quarterly business reviews. And like, you know, I think sometimes we just check a box when we do some activities, maybe like, like a quarterly business review or we engage key stakeholders um, and we don't do enough download. Like, how are we? How are we taking what the customer success manager is hearing in the meetings and bringing that back into um, into a system and a program that we can actually start to to use to cultivate all that feedback? So yes, certainly agree. There's multiple places to get it, um, and it's you know listening in in several different areas of the business. All right, I'm gonna call out one team that you didn't hit on, but technical support. Yeah, I feel like that one is so important because typically, why do customers engage with support? Because something's not going right, something's wrong. They're not using the product well because they didn't listen to what their CSM told them, um, but there's some pain there, right? And so I feel like in those moments of engagement, you've got an opportunity to really win, um, but your customers are going to tell you how they feel in that moment, right? And so I feel like there's a lot being said. There's a lot not being said that you've also got to capture through tone and if you're having live conversations or just kind of reading between the lines. So I think it's important to obviously technical support, I always feel like is a very big one when it comes to VOC. Yeah, and, and there's a whole nother category too, and I think we're touching on it, but it, in the B2C world, I think it's usually referred to as O-data, and it's like your operational data. So there are things that we know, there are standards around how we should be uh, responding, how our product should be performing um, around the, the, the speed at which we close cases, back to the ticketing example or the support example that you just mentioned, Christy. And 
I've always found that if you can take some of those, create benchmarks, create a dashboard for how you're performing, make sure you're performing on the levels that you want to be performing, and then match that up with all the sentiment data that you're getting from the actual voice that you're listening to of the customer, like that combination is really powerful, right? And I think a lot of times we don't, a lot, a lot of companies are struggling to put that infrastructure in place and pull it all together, all that data together in one place where it could be made, you know, useful. So I don't know, do you guys use any operational data like that? I mean, long running support cases, number of critical, you know, issues, performance data from your product, like what kind of operational data do you think about Christy? So all of the above. Um, so one of the things that I called out today is like, I've got like, the way I think about it is there's six things that I'm starting with, six buckets of data and information for my VOC program that we're building here. One of them is usage data. Because I feel like that without your customers telling you directly, right, it's that indirect signal to you. Because if they're strong users, right, that could be a signal of like good health, good relationship, they're feeling good about the product, they're maximizing the value. Um, on the other side, right, if they're not using the product, there's a lot they're telling you, right? It could be that the product's not intuitive, they don't know how to use it, that it's not meeting their needs, it's not doing what it's intended to do, or maybe it's too complex, or maybe they don't know where the button is. Um, so I am trying to use a lot of the product data to also hear what my customers are saying and think about it through that lens. Um, so trying to figure out what the data is telling us for the product specifically. Um, with support, we are looking at that, right? Like number of ping pongs, so like back and forths. Um, the minute a ticket has like 24 exchanges, it's like, well, why didn't someone at like, number five, pick up the phone and call this person instead of like going back and forth. Right. Because I know if someone made me do that, I'd be pissed. Um, and now I'm paying for something and I'm like, oh, just tell me. Um, so, so we definitely look at that, um, these number of exchanges, how long it's been going on. I look at the size of the accounts, um, who, what the level is, the title. So if, if I've got somebody who's a bit more senior, who's dealing with my technical support and I'm a CSM, I'm going to jump in and intervene. Um, so we try to like use all that data anecdotally to say like, okay, this is good and this is not good and kind of intervene where it's appropriate and then kind of map that back to how we approach certain situations. I think the, the last point you made is a, a really big one too that we, I think on one of our podcasts, we were talking with um, Justin Welsh. Uh, he's really big in sales for B2B SaaS. Um, and he talks a lot about the ideal client profile and making sure that you can kind of orient even feedback like this back to, and you know, segment, like who is this feedback actually coming from? Um, and it's not necessarily meaning like, you know, is this the biggest ARR customers? It's literally like, no, who have we designed the product for? Who, who are we selling it to? What does the messaging look like? What are all these things? And like, so then it can help us uh, have a baseline for understanding like where, like where's the feedback coming from and how is it different than what we already have or what we've captured? Um, it was really interesting, you know, his point as companies are scaling to 50 million, just how, um, how off course they can quickly get because they want to go sell to everybody um, instead of really continuing to stay focused um, and using that to your advantage. So how about the pinnacle of voice of customer being customer advisory boards? Do you guys have a customer advisory board, Christy? I've only been there for five months, so it's on my list. Um, I've been keeping busy in other ways, but um, we definitely want to get there, but it's not, it's not something that I'm, I'm starting with, right? And I, I think that that's, sometimes folks can make the mistake, and I would say like rushing into it. I have launched them before other companies, and I think we've done a really good job of it, but they're a lot to manage um, if you're going to do it well. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I think we should just kind of like break it down and talk about like, what does it even look like to start this and when and all the details behind it, but we've not gotten there yet because it's not something I will ever do halfway, right? Like yeah, I, 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 I owe to my customers to like be prepared to embark on that journey with them. And I'm, I'm not today. Usually, I mean, the, if you're going to have a client advisory board, you've got to have product at the table and you really need marketing to help facilitate that in my experience, at least because it is such a high touch type of event and you want to both provide 
feedback or both provide a direction of like where we're headed as a company, what our strategy is, what our product roadmap is looking like, but also take that input that you know they're going to have that you want, you're convening them to get in, in a way that you can make it actionable and that sort of thing. So it's actually a, it's a, it's a company effort. I don't think it belongs exclusively it to CS. I think you have maybe somebody who spearheads it, maybe like they're the project manager of the effort, but it's a company-wide initiative. In fact, I almost think that the executive leadership team owns it because where we've done it really well, it's got to be a top-down initiative. Um, you know, in some, in some organizations where I've been, where we, we've done it, we've not, and we've not brought end users to that, that, that uh, engagement, right? So it's always been like high level executives because when we're looking for thought leaders who are visionaries who understood the direction yep. of the industry because um, that was gonna help us more than like, hey, that button would be really cool if you like decrease the pixels around it to make it smaller, right? Like I'm not looking for that feedback. We're looking for like big industry moving insights. So um, that said, if we're engaging at that level, like my executive team really needs to be at that table, present, engaged and kind of driving that. And then honestly, the rest of us just fall in line to just execute, make it happen. I think it gets back to the almost what we were talking about with sending surveys and setting the right expectation. It's like, you better be prepared. And I think this is what you're getting at, Christy. It's like, you better be prepared to put the effort in if you're going to ask uh, for them for that level of commitment. Um, and I think sometimes too, you just throw it around. Like, you know, you see companies just throw it around like, hey, do you want to be on the advisory board? Hey, um, and there's no, yeah, I'd love to be on your advisory board, but like, what are the parameters? You know, how often are we meeting? What are the types of decisions that we're going to make? What's the type of feedback that you're going to be looking for from me? So um, I think, you know, there, there has to be this structure um, in place. And then to Jay's point, I think you do have to think about it as a, I mean, in an event of it, in, an event in and of itself, um, you know, however often you're going to do it, whether that's once a year, twice a year, quarterly, um, you know, some of those meetings, you need to have the, the pizzazz and bring a real experience to these people who are spending time to do this. Yeah, Andrew Marks, Andrew said it well, it's particularly important not to half-ass it right out of the gate. Yeah. What you were saying, Christy. So thanks for that, Andrew. In true Andrew Marks form. Love it. I didn't want to say uh, it exactly like that, but I was making the same point. <laughs> <laughs> when, um, so when do you, you know, Christy, like when, I guess, when is the wrong time? Do you think to do, is it stage of company? Is it maturity? Like you said, is it when you don't have buy-in? Like, when do you think is it like, when do you think it's just not an opportune time to really start to build like an, an actual advisory board? I think if your executive leadership team is not willing to commit the time, effort, energy to go and do it well and right, it's a bad time. Um, I think if you're trying to drive this bottom up and like you've got a CSM who's like, oh, it'd be really great if we could start a cab and then their VP or whomever says, yeah, yeah, go run with that idea. Um, that would be the wrong approach. Um, and I think that would be the wrong time to do it. I think it's gotta be an organizational wide decision to invest in that as a strategy. That, that probably goes for a lot of things that fall into this category. When you try to push them from the bottom up, a lot of times it does not work. You need yeah, and people wonder why they don't get buy-in or they fail miserably. And it's just because as a company, you haven't agreed that that is a priority. And so therefore you're not executing it well. What, well when you think about uh, customer advisory board though, like Jay, what's, what's, the, like, what's the outcome that you're really looking for if you're gonna start one, right? Like, like how are you gonna, like how, are you, how would you convince me that we need one when we've already, maybe we already have other ways that we're listening to customers and uh, we already have an event that we do, you know, where we bring maybe end users to. So like, what's the, what's the pitch of like why to have one? Okay. Yeah. All right. That, that's a fair question. So um, to me, an advisory board goes beyond just getting feedback. It is, um, it's actually a way to engage your strongest champions and have them become even stronger champions for your brand. So like we have an advisory board for customer imperative, right? I and mean, Christy is on our, she's on our advisory board, but in, it's been a in, wonderful experience so far, by the way. Oh, thanks. Your check's <laughs> in the mail. Um, 
but I mean, the idea of having an advisory board, I mean, we, we have a board of directors who, who care about the, the financials. They're the like, they're part of the ownership group of our businesses, but um, the, the people who are on our advisory board care deeply about the industry and their thought leaders back to Christie's point in the industry. So really um, we do want the product feedback, but we also want to arm them with a lot of information. They're probably our best references. They're probably uh, the people who um, are, are going to be the first ones that we call if, um, if we've got a big deal on the line and we need somebody to, to sort of vouch for us and that we can execute according to what the needs are going to be for that industry. So um, to me, it's a, it's a two-way street too. And a lot of times advisory board members, they enjoy the, um, they enjoy the, the, I guess the notoriety of being included in such a, a strategic, you know, part of the, 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 the companies that they do do business with. So I think it goes deep and it, and it, and it goes beyond just one way feedback. It goes into brand building as well. Well, I like the way Christy said earlier too, like part of that is you're, you're trying to bring people from your industry. who are also visionaries who are thinking, you know, not only just what's happening next year, but like they're thinking three to five to 10 years down the road, right. They're already thinking about, um, you know, they're already thinking about, Hey, how is COVID going to affect us five years from now in terms of our trucking logistics and how we actually operate a, and you know, understand where all of our fleet is. Maybe that's all from home now. So how does the technology have to change, right? And then you can bring that person to the table and it helps, like you said, it helps from, from both sides. Um, at one point, and then Christy, I'll let you jump in, but one point David Ellen just uh, referenced as well. He said, if you don't have executive buy-in for this type of program, then it doesn't really sound like you have uh, a customer-centric organization. You know, they're not really, if they're not invested in these types of activities, I think like Christy was saying earlier, then you, you don't really have the buy-in in the customer-centric organization to begin with, so. Yeah, I would say like one other thing to add there is the, obviously these experiences and this involvement should be mutually beneficial, right? Like the individuals involved should be getting as much as they're giving in. And I don't mean that like financially or anything like that. One of the things that I love about being part of obviously this organization and others is the the relationships I build with my peers and other like-minded individuals. And so to me, I'm always introduced to other thought leaders in this space. And so that is, that's great exposure for me, but it also really helps me in kind of my line of thinking and my thoughts and, and building those relationships. And so that's always been a big added plus for me. They're the people that I wouldn't have crossed paths with otherwise. Um, and these are, these are really phenomenal partnerships and relationships that I've been able to curate as a result of being involved in these. So I would say the other thing that's really important is understanding your audience and what drives them and what's important to them and how are they defining value because it has to be mutually beneficial. It can't be that you're drawing on them um, and, and dollars don't always cut it, right? Like there's gotta be more value to it where I know some people are like, Oh, well, is there equity or is there this? Is, and honestly, like, those are, those are great questions to ask. I know time is money, but the real value is, you know, kind of thinking through each of the individuals and, and kind of what motivates and drives them. The, um, the other piece to add in here is that there, there at some point becomes a split between people who are going to be good advisors around your product and then good advisors around the industry direction. So at one company I used to work for, <clears throat> rather large company, um, we had executive forums that were separate from our client advisory boards. And even the client advisory boards, they had, you know, our power users and some of our, you know, some of the, um, uh, the, the business owners of the function that we, we served there. But then there was a, a completely separate executive forum where we really got to talk about the state of the industry and where the industry was headed, which is really helpful for us as a company because we were able to, you know, be working with some of the luminaries in that industry to help figure out what the direction of the business was going to be, not just the product. So. That's an awesome point. I hadn't seen it broken out like that, but that makes a ton of sense. We spent a lot yeah. of money on the executive ones. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I said, time is money. A lot of steak dinners, a lot of uh, yeah. It was more than time. <laughs> um, All so right. What 
you know, one of the things I'm th sitting here thinking about those is um, for, let's say, earlier stage companies who are, you know, still growing, they maybe don't have the resources to build out a customer advisory board. You know, we've, we've kind of talked about voice of customer programs. So what's like the, what's the three steps that you would go take, you know, if you're, Christy, if you're looking to go build out a, you know, a program, like a voice customer program, like we were talking about, growth stage business, um, you know, don't really have, we'll say the resources to do a full advisory board. Like what are the three things that you're going to want to put in place um, to really get you moving and just at least incrementally start getting that into a uh, regular rhythm and cadence that you could rely upon? Sure. So if I, if I had to give three things, we're starting a cab, any stage company, set an objective. Um, I think having clear direction of like, what are you trying to get out of it as an organization and with this audience? Um, define who you're targeting, right? And right, draw up some parameters around like what, who should be involved and what does that engagement look like? Um, design, design that engagement model and then deploy it. I mean, like, honestly, I think if you do those three things, even if you don't have a whole like full court press program that you're going to go around, if you have a clear objective, if you've defined who you're targeting and why, um, and then you've put some parameters in place, like we're going to meet quarterly and it's going to be a six minute meeting and it'll be video. And we ask you to do these five other things throughout the course of the year. I mean, I think those are some bare minimums, but you can probably start to, to stand something up relatively quickly. I think if you do those three things well. Sure. You just got to do what you say you're going to do. I think yeah. that's it at the end of the that's day. Right. Right? Putting something in front of your customers, don't let them down by saying, okay, we're going to meet quarterly and then blow them off twice a year and say, oh yeah, by the way, now we're going to meet. Um, just whatever parameters and guidelines to put in place, just execute against that. Um, all right. You guys want one, one wild card question that just came in here? Well, yeah. we'll all right. So um, Gary Hamblin, um, we're going to switch gears a little bit here. Gary Hamblin said um, he's finding that his sales team is still threatened by the CSM role. Um, ah, hold on, it scrolled off. Um, they want to own the customer themselves. So um, that is a really common challenge, customer ownership. Nobody owns the customer, right? I got scolded for that last time I said it on LinkedIn, but we own accounts, right? So who, who owns the account? How should we be thinking about that? Jeff, why don't you, why don't you lead us off there? Well, I mean, I think the, I think this for a lot of times, the, the situations that we walk into, I think what we're trying to figure out is what are, what are all of the things that you need to get done along the customer journey? And then who is the right role to fill those? So um, I think it depends a lot on the situation, but you know, if there is a technical product um, that, you know, we needed maybe a little different resource than if it's uh, more commercially focused and it's a high upsell opportunity. And so I think, you know, trying to figure out like, what are the things that are happening across the customer journey? Um, what are the roles that we have available to us? And then how can we start to clearly define like where they are going to be the most successful and most effective? Um, again, I think this comes back into trying to, to figure out like what is the engagement model and how do you map that back into the financials? Like does the, you know, does the actual price of the product allow us the, the ability to have multiple people involved uh, or not? But um, I think commonly what we try and figure out is um, we know that there's probably going to need to be different roles played on the account. Um, and there's not necessarily one, uh, we'll say one clear quote unquote owner of the account, but there are certain owners of the activities that are happening and of what the outcomes are that we're looking to achieve. So uh, I guess prime example is, you know, two in a box trying to think about maybe an account manager who has commercial responsibility um, alongside of a, an enterprise client. And you have a, a customer success manager who's really focused on uh, making sure that that customer achieves their outcomes and is using the product um, in the ways that we want to best practices, thinking about the industry. Um, and so, you know, again, you can't necessarily say one of those two positions has ownership over the quote unquote account, but commercially focused, uh, you, you want to make sure the account manager has the right goals in place, that they're thinking about the right objectives that they're trying to achieve. 
Um, and you also want to tie that closely with that customer success manager. Um, I think we've seen in a lot of cases that if you can align the customer success manager's uh, bonus or uh, compensation structure or just what they're uh, looking at for their quarterly objectives, tie that closely to that account manager, you're going to have a lot more success because they're going to see themselves as a team on that account moving it forward. So um, I don't know if that directly answers this question, but I like to think about it as trying to figure out the, the best way that that resource is going to be successful rather than trying to think about it the, the reverse way, which is, um, I think, where you run into challenges. Kirsten, you make my answer sound better. Yep. So here's what I'm going to say, which is basically what you said. Um, I take a two-prong approach. One, introduce everybody as an account team, right? You're all aligned towards the same goal, which is that customer being successful. And then drop a racy model that makes sense for your business, but that you can also be amenable to bending, right? So although maybe the upsell motion should be run by an account manager, if the customer success manager is having the conversation, has a stronger relationship, and is likely to get there across the finish line, figure out how you guys can partner together, right? So I always say racing models are great. Draw the line so that people are clear. But at the end of the day, do what's best for the business. So you've got to be you got to be agile and nimble enough to like say, okay, well, actually, this person should be driving that conversation. And there just can't be egos. Um, I'm a big advocate of like, listen, if you've got feelings about feelings, you don't have a role in my organization because nobody's time for that, um, right? The only feelings I have are if my customer is happy, I'm happy. If my customer is not, I'm not. So, I mean, I think if you're working as an, a team structure, you'll do well and just draw lines in the sand so everyone's clear on what everyone should be doing and then just be agile to adjust accordingly. One thing we always talk about with this conversation is that there is a difference between what it looks like if you have an enterprise sales motion, if you're selling to large customers versus if you're selling to SMBs. And if you're so, and I'm, I'm sure there are people that listen to our podcast that are in both of those camps. So if you're selling to an SMB, you know, a practical piece of guidance is that usually those salespeople need to do that deal and then they need to go on to the next one, right? So we don't really want them hanging around with accounts, but sometimes what happens is that they don't trust that the customer is being handled appropriately. So that's where a repeatable customer engagement model come into play, a process that we can count on and rely on. We know that there's going to be a CSM or an onboarder that's assigned to the account within hours of it closing, and they're going to pick up the ball and they're going to run with it. So where I see on the SMB side, sales teams getting bent out of shape is when they're not sure what's going to happen next. And they want, they worked hard to win the deal. There's probably a clawback if it goes away. So they're going to be really interested in making sure that, that that customer stays around, at least to the onboarding period. On the enterprise side, like to your point, both of your points, it's a team sport, right? But you just have to know what pieces of the puzzle that each team owns. And I like, you talked about a racy, but it's, it's, there are slight differences for every co company, right? And there are nuances to it. I've worked with one company who the original sales rep owns the customer commercially um, for the duration of the, of the, of the time that they're a customer. And that's a perfectly fine way to do it. If that is your go-to-market model. Um, and then the CSM has a different role to play than all the commercial responsibilities. So um, there's a lot, this is probably one of the most hotly debated topics, you know, in the customer success community at the conferences and everything every year. So um, one that we could, we could probably always talk about every week. Yeah. One, one final point that I like that you just brought up there too, that I think um, is probably goes without saying, but the, even in any of those situations, the big thing, right, is, is making sure that you are communicating what your engagement model looks like with the sales leadership team and understanding how those two things are interacting with each other. You know, I think where we continue to see situations where people might get caught is like in an SMB model where sales doesn't know what's happening because no one's communicated about like, what is our actual customer journey look like after the sale? And like, what is the customer success manager there to actually do? And who do I need to introduce? And there's just confusion along the lines. So um, I think that's just a big thing too, is making sure that you're, as you're coming up with your customer success plans that you're sharing cross-functionally. 
totally. Yep. And uh, I'll, I'll invoke Phyllis Wyndham here. She says, collaboration and communication is key. Like, it's all about leadership. It's all about communication, collaboration. Like, those are the, if you could do those things, you can make this work in your, in your company. So, um, awesome. Okay, well, we're right at the top of the hour. So, I think we're done here. It's been a very long day, a very fun and exciting day. And I know it's not over yet. But, um, so, if you're listening to this and you haven't joined the Gain, Grow, Retain community uh, for CS leaders yet, even if you're a sales leader or product leader, go join marketing leader. Like we need your voice in the discussion as well. I think it'll be cool. Um, so that's gaingrowretain.com. You can get to the community that way. And uh, Christy, as always, great to see you. Thank you for everything you've done in the community. And uh, Jeff, big shout out to you, man. You're our community manager. You rocked it this week and um, really excited about the momentum here. Yeah, let's do it. Thanks a lot, guys. This was fun. Thanks, All right. Guys. Good to see everybody. We'll Take talk care. to you soon. Bye, everyone. Bye. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.